blessed and some, so many other people are not walking in the same blessings. So I'm blessed out of my boots and socks. I went through a recession period. I worked for a construction company, my father's construction company. It was a huge company. We, we built uh, building blocks, flats, uh, 60 houses on one plot, uh, another 60 uh, urbans cut out. Uh, and through the recession, everything fell flat. I worked for them. I earned a salary working for them. And during the recession time, after the recession when we came out, they lost everything. My folks, my brothers, everyone lost everything. Yet I, who worked for them, lost nothing. Somehow God carried me through that. And I'm saying to myself, how is that even possible? I mean, I worked for them. They have tons more money than me. And they've lost everything. I haven't lost anything. So God sustained me out of all of these because I held on to God. So I'm saying, how do I communicate the experience I have with God to people that don't have that experience? How do you experience God? Because everybody feels like they don't have this touch of God in their lives. And I, and I walk in the blessings of the Lord, and it's not because I'm special. It's maybe because I understand something. I'm going to try and tie this in. So to bring this whole story back to the beginning of this year, they send me out. They say, go plant this church. And we wanted to get this big building. Like, like you've got a phenomenal place here. We, we saw this building that we wanted to move the church into. It's a theater. It's originally built as a theater. And they say, we want this thing. And the, 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 the rental on that place is just too high. We couldn't afford it. So right next to that, there was a nightclub, and it was empty. So we said, we'll take the nightclub. And so we rent the nightclub for, uh, let's say, 20,000 South African rands. That's about $2,000 a month. So we say, we'll rent that. So we renovate this entire thing. And as me and my wife stands outside this building, we say, we'll stay here for six months. And then we move into the big building next door. Three months down, little did I know the guy was involved in this. Three months down, the electricity gets switched off in that area. So they cut the electricity. Most people, and this is, again, I'll bring that into the, the, the message I want to bring this morning, is your perception of where you are and what God does and how God does things. Everybody goes and says, the electricity just cut. How bad can this get in South Africa? The electricity is cut. We just moved in here. We spent all this money renovating this, this, this building to have a church inside of it. And I saw that as an opportunity. Uh, God spoke to me. The moment that happened, God spoke to me. So I said to my partner, Louis, from where you bought the diamond, I said to him, hook, up us, hook us up with a meeting with the landlord. I need to speak to this guy. And as soon as the landlord came out a couple of days later, I said to him, this theater building, he's got something, run, a small business running inside. I said to him, that business is obviously now bleeding because you need to have a generator power you and you have to put in diesel and it's a lot more expensive now to run that business. You're not making money out of it. Let me give you uh, half of what we originally, you originally wanted as a rental. And he agreed to that because he, he couldn't use it anymore. So he said, yeah, we'll accept it. And we, we literally offered him almost half of the original installment they wanted. And he agreed to it. We signed the contracts. And a month later, the electricity went back on. So we moved in the building now. So we're sitting in a building for half the original rental agreement that we wanted. The first one we moved into, we couldn't afford a carpet. You'll see the photos on Facebook. We couldn't afford the carpets. We're a bunch of young people. Uh, none of them had the money to, to pay for a carpet. We move into a twice as big building. God's involved in it. And we're standing outside this building. And one of my friends says to me, uh, we need to now figure out how God is going to provide the funds to do what we need to do in this building. And I'm standing in this question room and I'm saying to him, you haven't paid attention, have you? If it's God's plan, he'll pay. If it's your plan, you pay. Uh, at this moment, I'm thinking it's God's plan. Everything's worked out. So God's got a pain. God's got no shortage of funds. 
God's got no problem with money. Raising funds is not an issue for God. So we were standing outside this building, and he says, where are we going to get the money to pay for what do we need to do? And I said to him, well, the only thing I knew I had to do is let's pray. I know I'm a businessman, but I don't have that kind of funds. We need to pay for a carpet. It's a huge building. It's a 1,500-seater building. We need to paint the entire building inside and out. We need to buy a proper sound system, proper lights. We have to pay for all of these things. We don't have the money in the bank. So I say to, to Louis, my partner, this guy, and I say to another guy, stand closer. Let's pray. And we got them together. We're standing in a circle in the parking area. We close our eyes and we say, and I say, Father God, this is your plan. You need to pay for this. I need the funds to do what we need to do. Please provide in Jesus' name. And I said, Amen. And this guy shook his head. He thought, no ways. That's not going to happen like that. Uh, and the way we do it is, 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 Peter had to climb out of the boat, right? You have to climb out of the boat. If you say, I want to really, really do this for God when he provides the funds, it's not really faith. Uh, also, you've got to, you shouldn't be stupid. I mean, you've got to do calculated, do calculated risks. But faith is not something that you have an answer for. So we got out of the boat. We started buying things. And, uh, we, we ordered the carpet, and somehow the carpet got paid. We ordered the lights, and somehow the lights got paid. And this week, just before we flew here, everything in that new building was paid for. The building was completely paid for. Uh, the rent is paid for. Everything is 100% paid for. And everybody is like, whoa, that's not possible. A bunch of young people. Uh, we've spent, since the beginning of the year, close to a million South African rands in renovating a building. A bunch of young people. That's $100,000 a bunch of young people. Uh, that's just God that does something supernatural and is able to do that. I want to encourage you, if you trust God, He'll take care of you. Through a recession, lost nothing because God is good. Somehow, somehow, He taught me something which not even my family understood. And let's see if I can explain that to you, how that works. <clears throat> it's all based on per- perception. We were singing and praising God, right? The word praise comes from the word halal which also means to flash forth light. Now, in South Africa, I see, I work with young people there. My issue with them is they look so depressed. They look extremely depressed. It feels like darkness is sitting upon them. They, 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 they constantly look as if they're tired. Now, when you're praising God, it says you flash forth light. The moment you start praising God, Jared said something when he was in that church. It blew my mind. He said, if you tell God who he is, God will tell you who you are. Like, like Peter. He asked Peter, who do they say I am? And Peter told Jesus who he is. And, and he, said, he made the statement, if you tell God who he is, God will tell you who you are. If you praise God, you lift him up, you flash forth light. That light removes the darkness from you. When you praise God properly, you change your perspective. God gives you the ability to see clearly what's happening around you. That's why praise to, to the church is such a powerful weapon. It's got nothing to do with the devil. You don't have to cast out anything. You don't have to fight the devil. It's not a fight. It's merely you expressing to God who he is. And when you do that, light starts to shine around you. Your perception of where you are changes. There's power in praise. There's power in praise. Now, it all comes from perception. God doesn't want you to serve him based on a feeling or an experience. He wants you to serve him based on understanding. We serve God. We know God based on understanding. That's the reason he gave us the word. Now, the story of the prodigal son. Can I read that to you very quickly? You have this, this young man, and that's what I see in the church. The issue is, and, and Jared, I think, is dealing with this quite, quite heavily in the church as well, is we try and find a reason 
why God needs to bless us. We try and get God or give God a reason to bless us. We try and find something that would motivate God to look our way. Uh, I mean, people sit in my church and they look at me and my wife and they think, why are they allowed to go to America now? Why can't we go? Why is David and Chanel allowed to have healthy children or, or children in the first place? Why are they allowed to have a good marriage? Why are they allowed to prosper financially? Why are they allowed to prosper in, in terms of their health? That's because they serve God, obviously, because God loves them. And, and we, we stand on the outside. We're not pastors, so it's not for us. And we say to them, that's not accurate. You see, everyone in this room right now, God knows you by name. He knows who you are, and he has a purpose for you, and he has a plan for you, and God wants to prosper you. Yet, we don't understand how that, that works. Can I try and explain to you very quickly? And he says, in, in, in the parable comes from Luke 15, chapter 11. And he says, Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate so that the so he divided his property between them. And not long after that, the younger son got together all that he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything there, was a severe famine in the whole country. And he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country, who sent him to the fields of, to feed the pigs. And he longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but not but no one gave him anything. And when he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against you, against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. And he ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fatted calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. This story explains something. And this is what I see in South Africa among the young people. And I presume everywhere because we don't have a correct understanding of how God sees us. Ephesians deals with, 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 with something you call uh, sit, stand, and walk. And to save time, I'm not going to read that to you, but it says, well, actually, I should read that just to, to give you this picture clearly. Is that okay? You still awake? It says in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with all spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ. Blessed be God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. Now, first in that sentence, you need to understand, you've got to tap yourself on the chest and say, God has blessed me with every spiritual blessing. Please just do that so I can see you awake. Everyone, put your hand on your chest. God has blessed me with every spiritual blessing. Not just Jared. Not just David, not just Chanel, not just the guy that sings in front, but God has blessed me with every spiritual blessing. At this point, this blessing is not something you earn or deserve. It's something you get for free. 
By the moment God steps into your life and you give him, he blesses you with every spiritual blessing for every season that you're in without you earning it at any level. And he says, uh, just as he chose us, second thing is he blessed you and he chose you. The fact that you, you say, how do I know that God chose me? How do I know if God chose me? You're sitting here, aren't you? The fact that you're in this building, listening to this message, tells me that God chose you. You wouldn't have the ability to walk through that door if God had not put his hand upon you and chose you. We're so concerned with, is God choosing me or not? The fact that you're wondering if God is choosing you is is an answer enough that God had chosen you. You're sitting here. So God has blessed you with every spiritual blessing and God chose you. With this picture, we've got another issue that we think God blessed me and chose me. But he chose me to suffer. God hasn't chosen you to suffer. God has chosen you to do something through your life. And that story is continued in this. He says, Blessed with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ, just as he has chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. That we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestined us to adoptions of sons by Christ himself according to the good pleasure of his will, to pray to the praise and the glory of his grace, by which he had made us accepted in the beloved, that you would be holy and without blame. The second thing, you've got to remember all three of these things. You are blessed with all spiritual blessings. God chose you. He chose you. And he adopted you as his children, before that, to be holy and without blame. When I, said, I said the other day, one of my friends was sitting in front. When we come into church, sometimes our way of experiencing God is by referencing what happened during the week. When we look back, we think, oh, I messed up. So if, if I don't feel something today, it's because this week I messed up. So what I'm going to do is this week coming, I'm going to really give my best to just impress God. And then Sunday when I come back, maybe I'll experience what Chanel's experiencing or whatever Jared's experiencing. Maybe this Sunday will be the Sunday that I feel something. That's wrong. That's not how it works. When you come into this church, can I get off this platform? And, and, and you're standing there. The reason you're trying to, to figure out, is God wanting to touch me this morning? Does God want to do something in my life? It's because you've you got an enemy that's standing right next to you is pointing a finger at you is is going like this and saying you don't deserve what god wants to do in your life you're not good enough because the whole world's telling you you're not good enough everything you see around you is a reflection of you not being good enough so he's pointing a finger you're sitting in the church and you're thinking i'm not good enough this week I, i i tried but i didn't really make it i didn't make the mark and god's standing in front of you going like i don't understand what you why are you not responding to me? Because when God looks at you, he says, he, he blessed you with all spiritual blessing. He chose you from the beginning. And he said, you will be holy and blameless before me. So there's no blame on you. When I look at you, God doesn't go like, what did you do this past week? He, he says, I'm seeing someone that's holy and blameless in every sense. The reason he's seeing you as holy and blameless is because when he looks at you, he's seeing his son standing in front of you. He doesn't look from the angle that the enemy looks at. However, we respond 
from the enemy's perspective to God, not from God's perspective to us. And for that reason, we miss out on having an experience with God. Ephesians goes on. If I can finish reading from Ephesians. Ephesians got a theme in it. It's called sit, walk, stand. The world tells you if you want to make money, you need to really work hard. And then one day when you retire, you'll have something. So it's, the world is teaching you to walk so that one day you can sit down and enjoy what you have. God reverses that completely. He says, when you're in the world, you have to work and get stuff. But, but because you're my child, I predestined you to become mine. I've blessed you with every spiritual blessing. I've chosen you to be holy and blameless in front of me. So when you're standing in the church, it's not got anything to do with what you've done this week. God's love towards you. He's saying, in my house, you don't have to walk first so that you may sit in my presence. He says, you, whoa, almost took a tumble there. Lying in his presence. Uh, Let me try that again. Let's rewind. He says, in my house, you don't have to walk first, walk the walk, so that you are allowed to sit in my presence. We, we try and walk first before we sit in God's presence. How did we walk this week so that we are able now to just sit and enjoy God? God says, no, 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 no. Because you sit in my presence before you have done anything, you're allowed to sit in my presence. Because you sit in my presence, your walk is different. You're now allowed to walk according to where you... <clears throat> we, we try and fight for victory. We try and fight for a breakthrough. We try and fight for acceptance. We try and fight to get a blessing from God. Where in fact we already have the blessing. We fight from a position of victory. We fight from a position of being blessed. That, that completely... It's somebody that has the upper hand trying to fight someone that's got the... We're trying to fight something that it seems in our perception, in our walk with God, we're trying to fight all of these things that goes wrong so that we may attain something. I'm saying you already have it. Fight from that perspective. It's the way you see God that influences your experience with God. Let me try and explain it even in a better way. Feelings follows understanding. Feelings follow understanding. If you stand in front of the mirror and psychologists will tell you this and friends will tell you this, if, if I stand here and I take the guts to tell you, wow, you're ugly. And I'm like, whoa, you're ugly. <laughs> Sometimes in the morning when I roll over, I got the, whoa, you're good looking. Uh, I just want to keep things right. I got a couple of days more with her in America. But if I, if I tell you, wow, you're ugly, that translates into understanding. And everything else confirms that understanding. And then your feelings will follow that understanding. If you change your understanding of God, our understanding is where it's flawed because you serve God in understanding, not in feeling. You can't serve God in feeling. You, you serve Him in understanding. If you change your understanding of God and God's perception of you, you'll feel a lot different. We feel depressed because we feel unloved. We feel depressed because we feel uh, unaccepted. We feel depressed because we, we are rejected by a lot of things in our life that goes wrong. We feel not good enough. But if we change our understanding of what God says about us, our feelings will change as well. 
Now, if I tell you, wow, you're good looking, and someone else comes and confirms, wow, you're good looking, you'll start feeling better and you'll walk upright. And you'll walk with a different attitude. It's the same, the same thing with God. It's because we walk into the church and our understanding is because we've been trained by this world that we have to earn God's response to us. If we can impress God, if we just sing loud enough this morning or clap our hands just in the right way, somehow God will this morning turn his head towards us and look at us. And maybe this morning, just maybe the word of God will be truth for me this morning. And then I'll accept it for the next six months if God doesn't speak to me because, wow, just God just spoke to me once. And that's not our experience or walk with God. Our experience with walk with God is every moment of every day, I am accepted in God. I am blessed. I am holy and without blame before God. When God looks at me, he looks at his son. The same way I look at my son, uh, it, uh, my, my little boy is five years old. His name is Rico. If he's naughty, I might be upset with him. But if he's playing downstairs and I hear a certain sound, if, if he falls off something, he climbs on everything, and he falls hard and he starts crying, I hear that cry and I immediately know he's in trouble. My response is not based on what he's done, his good behavior. I don't walk to the fridge and see the little stars on the fridge. This week he gave him five stars, so okay, now I'll give, put a Band-Aid on. Only two stars, no Band-Aid for you. I ain't helping you. And he looks, he's crying, he's crying, he's, he's shaking his head. He says, Daddy, and I'm pointing at the stars. <laughs> That's somehow how we experience God. We think that God loves us based on our behavior and our response to him. Uh, if, if this week I could just pray enough, if I could just pray enough, then God will bring a breakthrough. God wants to give you, in fact, you're walking in the breakthrough already. You just don't walk in it because your understanding of that thing, it, 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 it makes you feel that it's not yours. I got another example, my son Rico. If he was in this church right now, it would be better for him to be downstairs. But if he was up here and he would be climbing on things and, and one of you would look at Rico and you'd go, please be quiet, little boy, just sit there. And you would get upset with my son. I would look at you. Listen, my man, I'm from South Africa. We don't play games there. Don't talk to my son like that. I'd be upset if somebody just tries to discipline my son without my permission. But if it's my son and I look at him, I would discipline him in a different way. I would speak to him in a different way than what you would do. Another example is if, if I stand outside and you've got a car outside and somebody walks past your car and he scratches it with a key, my response would be, wow, that's bad. That's not nice of that guy to do that. But if that was my car and somebody walks past my car with a key and scratches it, that changes my response, right? So in the kingdom of God, if, if he says, no longer do I call you servants, there's a difference in our mentality and our response to God. I call you sons. You, you sit in these pews. You're not outsiders. You're not, we are not volunteers as well in the church. I t I'm going to change that in my church. We call them volunteers. I don't want to call them volunteers because you're not a volunteer. God's kingdom doesn't belong to me. It doesn't belong to Jared. God's kingdom belongs to everyone sitting in this room right now. You are all sons of God, even the ladies. 
You are sons, you are children of God. You are called by God. You are blessed by God with every spiritual blessing. And God's perception of you is that you are holy and without blame. It gives you ownership in the house of the Lord. And while you're sitting in this church, you're not, you're not a volunteer on a Sunday morning. You're a child of God every moment. Now he says in Ephesians, we are seated in heavenly places with Jesus Christ. It means that I sit in that place. When I look to my right-hand side, I'm seated on the, left, on the right-hand side of God the Father with Jesus Christ. When I look from this perspective where I'm seated, if I have that understanding, I look to my right, I see Jesus. I, I, when, when, uh, when some of us look to our right, we see darkness and failure and, 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 and all these faults that we have and all this nonsense we have to deal with every day. And because of this, I feel tired and overwhelmed. When I... My perception changes of where I'm seated. I look to my right hand side. I'm sitting next to Jesus who holds the universe in his hands, who holds everything together by the the power of his word, the one who died on the cross and made me blameless and holy before the Father, whom is lifted above every other name. I'm seated next to him. From that perspective, when I now pray, I'm not trying to impress God because I'm already seated next to him. I'm not trying to get God's attention to look at me this Sunday because he wants to look at me. He is looking at me. I'm seated right next to him. So our perception plays a big part in our experience with God. Does this make sense what I'm trying to, trying to explain? <clears throat> if you try and respond to God like a servant, you won't never tap into the promises that God has for you. He says in Ephesians, we are seated in heavenly places. If you cannot accept that you're good enough to be seated in heavenly places. You, you cannot move into the second portion of the book of Ephesians, which Paul is trying to explain to the church of Ephesians. Uh, Ephesians, uh, the hub, the church of Ephesians, the hub there, is, is heavily influenced by philosophy. And Paul tries to, ex- to explain in this letter a couple of, uh, uh, of theological thoughts, if you will. The second portion is this, the walk portion but he starts off with seat being seated in that understanding so let me explain this as well if i cannot accept that i am seated next to jesus christ this is this is the foundation of your christian walk the moment you ask jesus christ to become your lord and your savior you that that portion is for free you cannot earn it nor attain it work for it nor buy it nor perform for it I cannot hook you up. I cannot go go and fix it for you. No one can do that for you. The moment you ask Jesus Christ to become your Lord, God takes you and seats you next to him in Jesus Christ. If you cannot accept that and you want to work for it, you try and do it out of your own strength and you will fail. The reason he does this is so that no one else can boast about giving you this position, not even yourself. No one can say, listen, I, I, I earned this. I prayed for five hours and now God's made me seated next to him. I'm seated here because he chose to. Out of this, God says, because you are seated here, here's promises that I give you. Here are these promises. I've called you to be an evangelist. I've called you to be a preacher uh, across the world. I've called you to be all these things. Now walk in those things. There's where the change comes in. Salvation. And to be seated next to Christ will cost you nothing. It's absolutely free. But to step into your blessings, you'll require faith. To step into the promises of God, 
they'll require an action. I mean, it's fine. Peter was inside the boat, right? He had to actually climb out of the boat. Jesus was already there to protect him. But he had to get out of the boat. If you want to walk in the blessings of God, maybe the reason your prayers are not answered is because you're trying to, 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 to pray from a perspective upwards, trying to fight for something that you already have. Maybe you, you need to change the way you pray, from which angle, which understanding you have. So I leave you with this thought. This son, I read you that entire story and never said anything about it. This young man, this young man is much like many of us. He is in the house of the Lord. We are in the house of the Lord. Yet he, he thinks it's better to do it the other way around. He goes out of the house of his father and starts working. And because he now influenced by everything around him and by the mistakes he makes, he goes back to, this is a longer story, but let me give you the shorter version. Of it. He goes back to his father's house and he says to his father, listen, I've messed up so badly. I've messed up so tremendously. I'll, I'll make you a deal. That's how we do it in church. We try and make a deal with God. We try, we try and tell God, listen, I've messed up this week. I'll accept it if you, I, I need you. I need you, you like a spare wheel. I need you right now. But I'll accept it if you don't treat me like the same way you treat David. Because, I mean, he is a pastor after all. There's a difference. And I really did mess up. So you, make me a servant in your house. Just, Father, just give me whatever you want to give me. I, I'll accept if you don't give me everything. And God goes and looks at, like this young man's father goes, he's got a frown on his face. He's thinking, what? I gave my son so that you may be holy and blameless before me, and you want to settle to be a servant. I paid the full price so that you would walk in all the blessings that you would need and in all the breakthrough that you need and have access to my name, but you're happy to just have a touch every now and then and encounter with me every now and then because you feel that you haven't earned it. What are you trying to earn? This young man comes back to his father. His father says, while he was afar off, he reckons no ways. Get a robe and put it back on this young man. He restores him instantly. He restores the ring, puts a ring on his fingers, and he gives him food to eat. If, you're, if you can get back to your father's house with the right mentality, a heart that says, listen, I messed up, when you mess up. God's response will never be, yeah, you're right, there's only two stars on the fridge and not five. Let's just see how you do this week. God's response is never like this. The other night I was, I said, I'm ending with that thought. I'm ending with this one. I've changed my mind. The other night, and the reason I got to this story, is after this year we've moved churches two times already. We spent so much money, and somebody actually had to put faith in action and trust God for the funds. And sometimes it was stressful. At the same time, I'm doing a master's degree. I have to be in Cape Town uh, for a week every month. I've got three kids, and I've got three businesses to run at the same time. All of these things happening at the same time. And I literally got so tired. I was way out, tired. Uh, and I'm thinking to God, and I'm thinking, how am I going to fix this? Do I have to, and I know this. I'm preaching these messages. And at the same time, I'm trying to figure out, do I have to fast for five days now? How am I going to get God's attention? Because he needs to touch me now. He needs to fix this. 
And the other night, I was really, really tired just before we flew to, to the States. And we were sitting, uh, we went out to eat. And on a Saturday night, we have about 40 to 50 young people get together at 10 o'clock every Saturday night to pray for the last three years, which is also a phenomenal story how that happened. And we were sitting down at a restaurant. I couldn't even speak properly to my friends. I was really, really tired. And I, I couldn't wait just to f- get on an airplane and fly away, just to rest. And before we went to prayer meeting, I was sitting, I was taking a shower or something, and God starts speaking to me. Suddenly my spirit lifts up. And I'm thinking to myself, wow, that's weird. I haven't done anything. Uh, and quite frankly, I don't feel at that moment like a good pastor because I'm tired now. The pastor is always supposed to be right and always supposed to be healthy and always supposed to be spiritual. And I'm feeling quite down. So I, but already I'm starting to be picked up somehow. So I walk into the church at 10 o'clock. And as I walked in, normally I would pray for about 15 or so minutes and then I'd start feeling the anointing or whatever God wants to do. As I walk to the front, the anointing of God comes over me and somehow I just, my eyes went like this and I'm like, whoa, God's in this place already. And somebody's looking at me and I'm jumping up and down and I'm thinking to myself, this is weird. Out of that experience, God is telling me that it's irrelevant what you're going through. I'm always present in your life. I'm always present in your life. I'm always there. I'm always willing to help you and stretch out my hand to you. You are never separated from my love. It it doesn't mean that you can do what you want. It doesn't mean that you can sin and make mistakes as you please. But it means that God's response to you, it's not like we think it, it will be. God's response is not someone with a lightning rod trying to take you out. God's response is trying to pick you up. That's how we think he wants to do it. Thank you very much. Can we ask the worship team maybe just to come up quickly?